Guys, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 4. I'm going to get directly into the word of the Lord. I'm in a series on miracles. And I'm going to read. You can read it on the screen or your devices. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. He mentions 18 specific things that God will do. 18 supernatural things that God will do. Jesus, as I mentioned, read this and sat down. I want to speak for a few minutes today from the subject, Miracles Within Reach. Miracles Within Reach. Father, I pray that you would speak from your word to our hearts because we need your instruction. And the word metanoia means to change our mind, often translated to repent, but that's the essence of repentance to change our mind towards sin, but not just to change our mind towards sin. To change our mind about concepts of life is an important part of the instruction of your word. Paul said that we should be renewed in our minds. This is to believers. And Lord, I'm asking you to help us today by causing us to walk in a constant state of awareness of the principles of your word to receive them as you reveal them to us, as we read them, as we hear them, and to change our mind where those concepts are foreign because of the old indoctrination we received while we were still unsaved. God, lead us into greater truth and understanding is what I'm really asking. In Jesus' name, and everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Come on, shout it out loud. Amen. Amen. By the way, good to see many of you guys coming back to church. Welcome home. Amen. So glad to see you here. I've missed you. But miracles within reach. Supernatural events such as miracles were meant to be a part of the Christian experience. I truly believe that. God wishes to demonstrate his power in every life. You see, when he does so, he receives glory for that. That doesn't mean that we should excuse ourselves because we're careless in the decisions we make. Many times, as a pastor, people come to me with needs and they need a miracle. They really do. But that's often because they're asking God to show up and fix something that they broke because they didn't make the best choice to start with. How many of you have ever made a bad decision? I know I have. And then after the consequences started rolling in... You had to say, help, you know, and lift your eyes up and ask God to please come bail you out of the mess you created. Sometimes we need a miracle, not because the devil painted us into a corner, but because, but because we did this to ourselves. We need a miracle sometimes to get out simply because 
some things we cannot extricate ourselves from. The wrong decisions lead to consequences and problems. Inevitably, they do so. And we will have to deal with those at some point in our lives. I've got a word for you today. In fact, I want to start with a statement that if you can remember this will change your life. A miracle should not be your backup plan for poor judgment. I want you to hear me. A miracle should not be your backup plan for poor judgment, should it? I'm right when I say that and you know that. As I said last Sunday in this series, being in this broken world, we also face very real problems that we did not invite into our lives. These are challenges that are not the result of what we did, but things that go on around us, created by circumstances, often times over which we had no influence or authority or power. In addition to that, there is an enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the scripture says. Those are the methods by which he works to bring us pain in our lives. And he is actively Working against us, even when you don't realize it, he is. You see, he th- he moves through the doors that are opened by the world around us that we don't open. And uh, the world has pretty much shut God out at this point in many areas of society. But when you shut one door, you open another. And when you close God out, you're open, opening the door for the power of a malignant and evil force to enter and come work behind the scenes. I'll give you an example. This virus that we've all had to deal with, that wasn't my fault. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't the fault of any of your family members. Husband, you can relax. Amen. Your wife can't blame you for that one. That's true. It wasn't a, a boss. It wasn't a neighbor. It wasn't anybody you know. It came probably out of a laboratory in China as nearly as they can determine. And none of us have anything to do with that lab in China. Nonetheless, there's not a person here that hasn't been affected by it. I mentioned already the catastrophic results of this virus upon one of our young men in this congregation. He and his wife suffered because he became ill. He's not the textbook case. You're not supposed to be affected like that at the age of 24, but he was. And you see, with all of this kind of death and destruction and pain and losses of jobs and the impact on the economy and the uncertainty and the stress and the fear and the tension in the home and the divorce rate skyrocketing and addiction rates increasing and abuse increasing and all of that taking place... You have no doubt, do you, that Satan works within that? He certainly does. You see, the enemy is involved. And in this broken world, the simple truth is that all of us will face things at some point that we cannot fix. Now, men by nature are fixers. Women bring us problems. And therein often lies the breakdown in communication. The wife just wants to talk about the problem. We think she wants us to fix it. And there we go. Amen. Sometimes she just needs somebody to listen. But guys, we already have a plate full, right? And so there are problems in life that we can fix. And we try to where we are able. 
But many times in the course of your life, you will not be able to fix some of the things that are going on around you. And that's when you need a miracle. That's when you need God to step into the middle of your circumstance and to receive a miracle. You have to turn to a power greater than yourself or those that you have are accustomed to talking to or who are in your circle. You can't go to the right or the left or to those in front or behind you. You've got to look that direction to receive what I'm talking about. In our text, the scripture tells us that 2,000 years ago, God invaded human history. And the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. For 30 years, Jesus was subject to the authority of his earthly parents. And by doing so, forever sanctified the biblical definition of a family. As he waited for God's timing to begin his earthly ministry. That is important. Because the world would really like to redefine what a family means. They don't have the opportunity or the prerogative to do that. Pass all the laws you want. God's already dealt with it. And God says a family is such as he has described in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, a man and a woman that he puts together to become the guiding force to teach the principles of his word to their children. Somebody ought to give God some praise for that. Amen. Even though Jesus' ministry would only last three and one half years, it would radically change mankind forever. Before it was over, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, would restore the way back to the Father and enable man to find forgiveness and redemption. In our text, Jesus has just come from 40 days of prayer and fasting. I want you to get that. We have people in this church that have fasted 40 days. We had one young man who has since gone on to be with the Lord. I think he finished his race early to be truthful with you. He did two 40-day fasts. And I'm not talking about, you know, fast with Fritos and a Coca-Cola in the afternoon. I'm talking about no food for 40 days. Oh, I haven't done that. And I'm going to tell you, just the idea of it to me is scary. I fasted. We have been, just came out of a, an extended season of fasting as a congregation. But Christ fasted 40 days before he began his earthly ministry. Pointing out that if you want to elevate your effectiveness in life requires spiritual assistance as well as earthly knowledge. Amen. And he prepared himself by going before the Father. I want to say this, it has been rightly said, new levels, new devils, I've got all of that. But even then, I want you to know that it is worth the effort when God places his hand on your life and begins to use you in a way that brings him the glory. Can I hear somebody say amen? Having just returned from 40 days of prayer and fasting, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when he did, they gave him the scroll of Isaiah. In every Jewish synagogue around the world, they were reading the same passages of scripture that day. You might not know that. I'm ready to do a deep dive. I want to show you something. I only have a few minutes. Can you swim? Let's do a deeper dive right now into what this means. 
You see, back in the day when Jesus began his ministry, they read through the Torah every three and one half years in public reading in the synagogue as a part of their worship services. It took them three and a half years because they also read what are called the Haftorahs. Certain ones were selected readings and they read them on the day that certain passages in the Torah were also read. Took three and a half years. Anybody notice any connection? How long was the ministry of Jesus? Three and one half years. And he walked into the synagogue and began his ministry by reading from the very passage that I read to you from in Isaiah 61, quoted again in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now they only read that it only takes a year to go through the Torah. The reason for that is they leave out many of the Haftorahs, including those with a Christological interpretation or that are prophetic about the ministry of Jesus. And so this is really cool. I one time studied with a Jewish rabbi and he shared something with me that I found fascinating. He said, you know, he said when they were reading it in the synagogue, Christ was out on the street doing it. He said the very week that they were reading, for example, about healing 10 lepers, he said that was the week that, uh, rather healing the leper, that was the week that Jesus healed 10 lepers. That blew my mind. And he said not only that, when they talked about the woman with the issue of blood in scripture that she touched the hem of his garment. He said, you know what the Torah was saying that week? It was the law concerning the cleansing from an issue of blood. He said, well, you guys believe that Christ was the Messiah and Jewish people don't. He said, we have to acknowledge that while we were reading it in the synagogue, he was out on the street doing it. And that blew my mind. Because Christ is the living word of God. Can somebody say amen? He was the word made flesh according to John chapter 114. He read the scripture and sat down. Wow. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Because that's so significant. But the first thing that Jesus said after he sat down was this. There exists a spiritual dimension that you should never ignore. You say, when did he say that? He said, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. There is a spiritual dimension. You see, in this world, we're inculcated into a system of beliefs, a system of beliefs that recognizes everything but the spirit dimension. It recognizes education and medicine and it recognizes politics and it recognizes sociological structures, but spirit dimension, no. But you better be aware of this, that the spirit world is just as real as the world you're living in right now that you can see. Amen. Adam lost the ability to see into the spirit realm. He once could, as could Eve. And you need to understand that part of the reason that Jesus had to say this and now the deep dive was because of what the crowd there believed that day. It's what they had been taught. You see, many people base their theology on their experience or, if I can rephrase it, their lack of experience. Ooh, now that's when it can become profound. Because you see, there were two prominent denominations that existed, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the descendants of Zadok, the priest, 
during the time of David and Solomon. Amen. And they didn't believe in the supernatural anymore. They'd completely given it up. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in any of these things. They didn't believe that God answers prayer or did miracles. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you had the Pharisees. And they believed in the supernatural. But they were religious and mean-spirited to the core. Their spirituality was determined by how closely they lived their lives according to all the rules. And just to make sure they didn't mess up on any of them, they expanded the original 12 to 618. It was just unbelievable. And so when Jesus came, he's looking at two groups of people that no longer believe that God hears and answers prayer. Oh, they prayed, but they prayed not to be heard by God, but to be seen by men. That was the big difference. The Sadducees had been Hellenized by the Greeks. They had become philosophers, educated. The creme de la creme. The the intelligent people of their hour. And yet the Pharisees in many cases were just as well educated. Only they did not believe in the supernatural either. And so let me say it like this. You have the Sadducees. And they're way over to the left. I'm moving in the left on your direct, in your direction. But the Pharisees were way over here to the right. And so you had left and right. Hey, kind of sounds familiar. Sounds like it's more about politics in the modern times, doesn't it? And do you know that both groups were a part of the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was a religious council that ruled over the nation of Israel. Get this. I'll make it more applicable to us. Israel was a nation founded upon the principles of the word of God. Kind of like America. Hmm. And they had 71 members of the Sanhedrin, which were the religious leaders. And they were comprised of Pharisees and Sadducees. And they had two leaders over them to break a tie vote. And so you had a total of 73. And it had become so politicized that God got squeezed out of the process. And they were supposed to be the ones that were ensuring the nation was led by godly principles. Wait, kind of sounds like what I've voted on when I went to the polls. I wanted somebody to represent me according to the teachings of the word of God almighty. Can, can I just talk right now? And I know we've got this whole dichotomy going on, this left-right thing where you're this or that, a Republican or Democrat, and it's really a false dichotomy. The truth is we need to stand for the Word of God regardless of whatever else is going on. And that's the thing that Jesus stepped into the middle of that day. And he looked around and he said, you guys, you think you got it all figured out? You think if we go by this one's plans and ideology over here that it'll work out right. And the other guys are saying, no, no, no. We understand what needs to be done. done, And you've got this whole thing politicized and you squeeze God out of the process. And I'm here to tell you the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And all of your problems have not gone away, have they? They multiplied. But I've come to tell you that miracles are now in the house. I am carrying the anointing that can change everything. I'm carrying that anointing. And secondly, Jesus pointed out that if you need a miracle, while he was there was the time for you to get it. 
He sat down. There are 18 different things that are mentioned in Isaiah 61. Verses 1 through 4. See if you can spot them. I'll go over them quickly. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Number one, because he's anointed me to preach to the poor. Number two, preach glad tidings or good tidings. He's uh, anointed me to preach. Then preach good tidings to the poor. Number three, sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Number four, proclaim liberty to the captives. Number five, opening of the prison to those who are bound. Number six, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Among all of those things that Jesus was preaching, one of them was, it's your time right now. And can I make a declaration in this house? In spite of all the negativity of the last two years, I kind of feel like we're coming into our time right now. Number seven, the day of vengeance of our God. Number eight, to comfort all who mourn. Number nine, to console those who mourn in Zion. What it says in the King James, and it really says this in the original as well, is to appoint instead of console. Look at somebody and say, you've got a God appointment on the calendar. Would you do that? I need you to look on the other side of you and say that now. You've got a God appointment on your calendar. You may not realize it, but that's what Jesus is saying. And he came to anoint him to preach the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, console them who mourn in Zion, on and on and on, 18 things. And he goes on to say, and I love this in verse four, that they shall rebuild the old ruins. I need somebody to say, God's not done with us yet. Would you do that? God's not done with our world. He's not done with our nation. God's not done with this church. He's not done with this city. God's not even done with you. You've got an appointment on the calendar. God is in control. Miracles are in the house and you are within reach of a miracle. God said they'll raise up the former desolations. I'm going to visit the world again. Anyone who understands biblical eschatology knows that a visitation of God is coming. He said, we'll repair the ruined cities. I love that because we may give up on society, but God hasn't. I wish I could go on, but I'm closing. He also pointed out that there were conditions that needed to be met before we could experience the supernatural. And this is where I would say to everyone here, listen closely, because sooner or later, you will find yourself in that proverbial corner I talked about. Not because of your decision, but because somebody else made decisions that impacted you. Jesus reminded them in verses 25 through 27 that faith and obedience moves God, not need. And you see, most people don't get that at all. In fact, we, that's false teaching, Pastor. God cares for me. Yes, I didn't say he didn't care. God wants to help us. Yes, I didn't say he did not. What I said was that faith and obedience move God, not need. He loves every person here. He loves the lost. He loves everyone outside this building. People get offended when you say that that God responds to faith and obedience and not need. But this is the way Jesus set it up. He said in verse 25 through 27, 
There were many widows in the days of Israel and were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. Oh, there it is again. Same length of time Jesus ministered. And there was great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And when he said that, they were enraged. They were furious. They wanted to kill him. Their faces turned red. They stood to their feet. They were angry. They, they, were, they were furious beyond description. You know why? Because the woman that was the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian general were both Gentiles. How dare you come into a synagogue where the sons of Abraham sit. We're the chosen people of God. His hand is on our lives. And they truly believed that because their name was on the right register, that that qualified them for God, divine intervention and for God to move in their lives. But it doesn't. And all I can say is thank God for it. You know why? Because my name wasn't on the right list. But one day Jesus walked by and found me and called my name anyway. Am I talking to somebody in this building? That had it not been for the grace of God, you would not be here either. Somebody ought to give God a praise in this house for his saving mercy. They were insulted. This verse blesses me. But what Jesus was telling them was there were many widows in need during that three and a half year famine. In fact, everybody was in need. And during the time of Naaman the leper, there were many who had leprosy. And yet there was only one widow sustained and only one leper healed. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? If God responds to need, think about it. Instead of faith and obedience, there would never be a person go to bed hungry. There would never be a homeless person on the street. There would never be a war. Nobody would ever die of a virus. There wouldn't be no such thing as cancer. It's unfortunate, though, that the enemy of this world has brought all of these things into the world to hurt those of us who live here. But God has made a way for his people to experience divine resolution to things that we can't fix oftentimes. And I don't always know what the answer will be. Don't always know how he would choose to fix it. Sometimes it's through doctors like Kobe Vondenstein. Other times ultimate healing happens on the other side. But I will tell you this. They are wrong when they say there is no spirit dimension. There is a living God who is in this house right now. Amen. And faith and obedience move God. In other words, miracles were within reach that day. But then the scripture says he sat down. And I want to get back to that and I'm done. He sat down. And that is so poignant, impactful. It had never stood out to me quite the same way when I've read it. And I've read it through hundreds of times, literally. He sat down. You see, when you sit down, it suggests you aren't going anywhere. If you, if you ever talk to somebody and all the time they're talking to you, they're doing this. Yeah, yeah, 
You get the idea they got some other place to go and something to do and something to take care of. No, Jesus, he sat down and looked around. I'm here. I'm the living word of God. What you're reading in the synagogue, I'm here to do right now in person. I'm here to make it real. I'm the word made flesh. When you sit down, it suggests that you aren't in a hurry. But there's two other things and our musicians are coming. When you sit down as Christ did that day, it means that you're making yourself both available and accessible. And those are two entirely different things, aren't they? You can be available and not accessible. And you can be accessible and not available. You know what I mean? You can be sitting in a doctor's office because you're ill and the doctor walks by and you can reach out and grab the white sleeve of his coat. But he says, I'm sorry, I've got patients waiting that I've got to see. In other words, he is accessible, but he's not available. And on the other hand, he can be available, but not accessible. Because you're across town somewhere, caught up in Houston traffic, or caught up in life. And the one that can change everything is both accessible and available. Amen. And this blows my mind because not a single person said, hey, I'll take that. I need a miracle. I need help. I've got a family member that's home that's ill. The mighty son of God is sitting there in their midst and no one recognizes who he is. And that means that to receive a miracle, we need to become more aware of his presence. I mention this because many times believers think I've served the Lord all of these years and I got my back against the wall and God didn't come through for me. Need doesn't move the heart of God. Oh, he hurts for you. But faith and obedience are what move God. Amen. But when we get in trouble, that's whenever we become desperate and we cry out, help. And you know what we're doing? We're focused on our need. And if you have observed, like I have, the reality of the spiritual dimension, I mean, that Sunday morning we had seven people healed that were had cancer. A melanoma fell off somebody's arm, literally fell off on, of their arm, dropped on the floor. They were scheduled for surgery that following week. I'm not making that up. Never will forget her name was Georgia Brown. Not making it up. Two daughters. You know what was happening that morning? People were seeking the presence of God rather than the resolution of a need. And that's why we have to practice being sensitive to Him. If I may say this gently, if church is about anything less than that, then church is less. 
and its impact in people's lives will be less. Mighty God of glory is here today. So how do you receive a miracle? Well, be a God chaser. Pursue after God. Don't just pursue the resolution of a need. Pursue him. Because when you get in his presence, that's when everything changes and the atmosphere is altered.